Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Jenny Wolpert, and you're listening to Sorry, Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Swedish-American champion Jenny Wolpert about becoming a bridge player, dawdlers, and maintaining a bridge life balance. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? Hi, Catherine. I'm great. How are you? Oh, I am cock-a-hoop. You're cock-a-what? <laughs> cock-a-hoop. <laughs> <laughs> am I throwing more words at you that you haven't heard before? Hmm. You are. What is cock-a-hoop? It means I'd be very happy because someone, not only did they make a part score, two spades, yay! No one else made it. No one else made it. Everyone else was off one. Oh, Catherine, you're playing in a low level contract and you're killing the opposition. You're 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 killing it, Catherine. You, <laughs> I think that you have now mastered the low level contract. Well, you know, Jocelyn, I do feel a bit more confident. And honestly, that confidence has come in large part from watching you play low level contracts. I really have learned a lot. You know, when I started playing, people would say things like, you should always play with a more experienced player because you learn so much. And I would try and do that. And I did. I put myself out there and people were kind and I would play with these really experienced players. And then, you know, I had one particular friend who was also an expert and she'd come up very excited afterwards and say, so did you learn anything? (laughs) 
like, I never learned. I never learned anything because I never knew what was going on at the table. I never learned anything. <laughs> but now finally I know enough to be able to actually learn <laughs> from watching other people such as your fine self. And so I do feel like I have got better at playing low-level contracts and I am just ever so slightly pleased with myself. <laughs> Can you tell? Give the woman a slam, a grand slam with no chance and she will make it. But when she sees a low-level contract, at least the way it used to be, she would think, ah, I can't make it. And it, yeah, it never made any sense to me, but I'm so happy for you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We are very grateful to all of our listener supporters, and we just wanted to get the word out about how easy it is to support the show. You just go to our website, sorrypartner.com, and you find the support the show button at the top and click on it, and you can see all the different benefits that come with your support. There's a sticker. <gasps> a sticker. There's a shout out on social media. There's mugs. Mugs? Mugs are always good. You love your mug, don't you? I love my mug. I've always got my mug. <laughs> you always have your Sorry Partner mug. I do. There's tote bags. Yeah. There's the newsletter. And the newsletter. Yes, where you get the inside scoop. Yes. And there's our undying gratitude. <laughs> Last but not least. Last but not least, because we really are dependent on our listener supporters and it, it makes such a difference. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Rather a full mailbag this week, Jocelyn. Oh, good. Yes. Very exciting stuff. <laughs> Bring on the letters. <laughs> Bring on the letters, indeed. So our first letter is from Stephen, and Stephen writes, Hi, pod queens. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our crown? Let me go find my crown. My I love tiara. it. Pod yeah. queens. Thanks, Stephen. Very nice of you. Stephen writes, this week my father had a stroke and as I was listening to your latest episode, I wanted to share with you the role that bridge has played in our family. When I was a kid, I learned social bridge with my dad and grandma, often during camping trips. My father would speak in hushed and awe-filled tones about an organization called the ACBL, where serious players aspired to become life masters. Years later, I was a freshman in college and was sitting at office hours with a respected professor. I noticed a plaque on his wall which read, ACBL Life Master. I blurted out, wait, you're a life master? The professor's eyes got huge as he asked me the only question that mattered. Do you play bridge? Yes, I said confidently. His eyes got even bigger. We play every day in the department, he said. Come tomorrow and bring a little money. I raced back to my room and earnestly started reading about how to bid. The next day I cut in for four hands. It turned out that a little money meant a penny every 10 points, so a great day might net you half a sandwich. <laughs> Somehow I managed to bid and make three games in four hands and was invited back. I played with this cadre of professors whose game had been going on for nearly 50 years every day for the remainder of my time in college. 
Toward the end, my dad joined the ACBL and I went to play with him at a bridge club. Some years later, my dad had continued playing and I moved home and along with my sister started playing in tournaments. After about a year and a half, we were nearing life master, but I wanted my dad to achieve it first. We convinced him to go to the Las Vegas Regional and played teams to earn the rest of his gold points. I managed to sneak away from work and my sister and I took turns playing with him while the director of our club made a fourth. The final day of the tournament, we won the last points he needed. We all celebrated at one of the steakhouses and his happiness was priceless. Later that year, my sister and I made Life Master playing together and have enjoyed playing many bridge games since. We plan to take a few breaks from hospital sitting to pick up some local games these next few weeks. Stephen. Well, Stephen, that's a beautiful story and, and we send lots of love to you and to your family and to your dad and thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful and really moving. Our next letter today, Jocelyn, is from Adam. He says, I enjoyed your interview with Gonzalo Herrera, and he's referring to the kibbutz from that episode when we discussed a hand sent in from Julia in Scotland about a very strange five-heart bit. Adam writes that it reminded him of a deal from 1978. I was a rising college sophomore home for the summer. I'd been playing duplicate for a little over a year. I was fixed up with someone I was told was one of the best players at the local club. We agreed to play a 12 to 14 no trump. Our auction was one diamond, one heart. One no trump, two hearts. Five hearts, pass. I was responder and alerted the one no trump rebid as showing 15 to 17 high card points. I had a fair eight count with five decent hearts. I'd have gone on to game over three hearts, but was pretty sure I should pass over five hearts, even with a maximum for my bidding. It was one of those deals where 11 tricks are almost always there, but you have to guess. I probably did not take the best line. In any case, I made three unsuccessful guesses and finished down one. That was no doubt what my partner deserved for that five heart bit. I don't recall what we saw on the Traveller. It seems likely the field was in four hearts making five, so the unusual auction might not have cost that much. Okay, so these very mysterious five heart bids just keep popping up when you least expect them. I think Adam was right that it was no doubt what his partner deserved, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> albeit a long time ago. Thanks for writing in, Adam. We really appreciate you sharing this story. <laughs> Our next letter today is from Stuart in Vermont, USA, regarding the recent story about a 27-point hand. I had a similar experience years ago where my parents were teaching bridge to me and a friend. It was in the days when Charles Gorin was king and you needed 13 high card points to open the bidding. My partner dealt and opened with one spade. I had 27 high card points in my hand and nearly fell out of my chair. The auction went one spade, pass, seven spades by me, all pass. It was a lay down, of course, at which point my father pointed out that seven no Trump would score better. Gee, thanks, Dad. I went from elated to deflated in just a few seconds. It was a lesson in the importance of knowing how to keep score that I have never forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's great to be able to play with your family, but hey, come on. <laughs> yeah. Now, what I said about the five heart bids. Yeah. 
don't want to be encountering any one of those mysterious five heart bids anytime soon. But, you know, if the bridge gods want to give me a 27-point hand, hey, I will be very happy. I love those. Yes, yes, you would be very happy. I just love those. (laughs) Oh, gosh, what's not to love, hey? (laughs) Well, I do have a partner who doesn't care if she has like a zero-point hand or (laughs) 27-point hand, and, and I admire that. But it's definitely not me. She just wants to do the best she can with the hands that she's dealt. And I'm greedy. I want good hands. <laughs> are you implying that I bid on nothing, Jocelyn, or are you no, referring to someone else? I'm referring to someone else who really doesn't care if she gets good hands or bad hands. She just wants to play her best with the hands that she has dealt. It's it's amazing. So what happens? Does she steal the the auction all the time? Is that what you mean? Or... No, not at all. No, to her, it doesn't matter whether she's playing or defending, whether she gets great cards or bad cards. She views every hand as an opportunity to try her best. Oh, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's so not me. (laughs) I admire your partner very, very much. Me too. But (laughs) I also want the cards. (laughs) Yeah, from afar. I admire her from a great distance away. (laughs) Our next letter is from Gary. Gary would like to share something that happened while he was playing in open pairs at a regional. I was declaring three no trump, and since my diamond suit was four to the ace opposite three to the king, I decided to duck around in the hope that the opponent's cards would split three-three. So I led the four of diamonds from the board. Right-hand opponent played the three. I played the two, and left-hand opponent played a club. That's right. The first round of diamonds was taken with the four, and the whole table had a good laugh. (laughs) (laughs) then he says p.s i still ended up down one but we had a fairly successful event overall and then he sent us another email which was a follow-up to that story (laughs) i was talking with a friend who was in the same event playing the same direction at a different table at his table he played three no trump from the opposite direction the three of diamonds was the opening lead low from a six card suit the two from dummy club from leader's partner, and the four of diamonds won the trick. (laughs) So a different way to have the fourth with the first round of a suit. Gary. (laughs) I wonder if that's some kind of a wish trick. I think it must be almost a wish trick. Yeah. 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 And and Gary actually titled his email a very deep finesse. So maybe almost a wish (laughs) trick and a very deep finesse. I like that. (laughs) Then on the theme of wish tricks. We've heard from Fritz, and his email is titled Triple Woogie uh, uh, Wish Trick. I have always called a trick with an ace, two, three, four, a woogie, W-O-O-G-I-E. When it occurs, I put down my cards, call out woogie, and jam my <laughs> thumbs into my palms and wiggle the other eight fingers at the player who took the trick as if putting a hex on them, and he turns them on himself if he won the trick. It is a bad omen for the winner of the trick, wasting all that strength and catching just small cards. The rare <laughs> double woogie occurs when the ace, two, three, four is immediately followed by the king, seven, six, five in the same suit. Until this year, I had never experienced a triple woogie, successive tricks in the same suit of ace, two, three, four, king, seven, six, five, queen, ten, nine, eight. 
Playing in an online local club game, the opponents slightly miss bid in getting to six diamonds on a 4-3 fit instead of six hearts or six no trump, but it gave me a chance to experience a triple woogie in the trump suit. King, queen, jack, four across from ace, nine, seven, and the rest of the suit appropriately distributed three, three, and the triple woogie was there for the taking. And yes, I typed woogie, double woogie, triple woogie (laughs) to the table as it happened while thrice hexing the computer screen. (laughs) I wish I had visuals for this one. (laughs) My wish for seeing a triple woogie had been fulfilled. After the hand, it felt like the triple woogie would be a harbinger of a bad score for my opponents who just made six diamonds, as six hearts and six no were cold. But alas, only a few pairs found slam, so six diamonds making on the 4-3 fit was still a good score for the opponents. Fritz. (laughs) Oh, well, but Fritz, you got to experience the triple woogie, and so, (laughs) you know, all is not lost. (laughs) In fact, it was probably worth it. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. I am adopting that. I'm going to start wiggling my fingers at you. <laughs> and then last but not least, we have heard from Alex in Sydney, Australia. And Alex writes, here is a little bridge rhyme that I learned several years ago that may possibly amuse your listeners. Yesterday, without a care, I bit a slam that wasn't there. I'd do it all again today, except my partner's gone away. <laughs> he says i don't know the author but it got me thinking about some other bridge limericks so here are a couple that he has composed there was an old man from loch ness who vowed that he'd never finesse the doubleton queen should always be seen but why do i get one trick less (laughs) (laughs) and then a man named easley blackwood bid slams that often weren't good for no trump is a place so just count up each ace now he wins a lot more than he should (laughs) (laughs) and then lastly when you've got all the tricks but one a squeeze play can sometimes be done be it triple or double your threats can cause trouble then your loser will win oh what fun (laughs) fun is the operative word here i love the limericks and i would love to get more from our listeners if you have any good limericks or if you can come up with one and of course any other stories that you might have about oddball five heart bids the oddball bid du jour or if you've got any other fun stories about 27 point hands or woogies double woogies triple woogies we'd love to hear them please send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. These links are all in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Jenny Wolpert. Swedish-American champion Jenny Walpert has won the Venice Cup, the Buffett Cup, and five North American Bridge Championships. She has also placed top five in many international competitions. She is a passionate advocate for introducing children to the game and is keen to develop a junior bridge program in Florida, where she lives. We began by asking if she'd had any interesting hands lately. 
I did actually. I had something happen that I have never, it's never happened ever before. Uh, we played seven no trump, or actually our opponents played seven no trump. And they were off an ace and the person on lead had an ace, but we did not double and we still got a hundred percent, but I've never had that happen before. And I've never seen it. I've heard stories of people not doubling when they have the ace, but, um, so I went to the hand records and it kept happening that session. So it wasn't just our board against these people. There were three times it happened, different boards. People were playing seven, no Trump. So that was a little crazy to me. I've never seen that before. Did you ask your partner why they didn't double holding an ace? There's nowhere for them. There's nowhere for ops to go. I did ask my partner why she didn't double and she did not have an answer. (laughs) She was a little perplexed by the whole situation and very excited, of course. I was excited with her, especially when she led the ace. I was even more excited. So no, I did not get a good answer. (laughs) you know often you might not do it because there's somewhere for them to run of course yeah obviously but at seven no trump yeah that seems very odd yeah that's why i haven't had it happen before no and then it happened again and again well it happened again and again at other tables not at my table i don't think i will have it happen ever again after this (laughs) i don't know but i don't think so that's amazing You grew up in a family that played bridge. Can you share with us some of your earliest memories of the game? Well, my earliest, earliest memory was my absolute hate for bridge. You know, my family's love for bridge was so frustrating when you're a little kid. But after a few years of watching them and um, I started being interested too. So my parents didn't typically teach me, but I learned from their talking to each other. And then I learned from other people. One of my earliest memories of bridge is playing in somebody's kitchen. And I played five clubs and I had five clubs and it was horrible. But yeah, that's, that's one of my earliest memories. And it was not very pretty. But you know, sometimes you remember the the really bad situations the most. So I remember going down a bunch in five clubs with my five. I thought it was a great bid though. About how old were you? Maybe seven. Yeah, I I didn't know a whole lot at that time. I didn't really start learning until I was 10. But I was uh, excited, bitter at seven. So was this still when you were in your hating bridge phase? This was uh, definitely still in my hating bridge phase. Part of me not or disliking bridge was my mom was a really good player. And so was my dad. And they still are. But they would travel. My mom would, uh, I have a memory of her when I was 10. She went to the Europeans. And so they would travel for bridge. And I think that was more part of my dislike for it, missing my parents and them going away on these big trips and me not getting to come, which was a big part of it. So how did you go from being this young woman who was the child of bridge playing parents to somebody who identified with bridge as an individual and wanted to improve? And how did you then become a competitive player? So my parents didn't really teach me. I learned from other people. And so I think I was always my own player. They p- would play with me a f- you know, few times a year. It wasn't, I had other partners. So I don't think I've ever felt too, oh, she is their daughter or this and that. I was always my own person, but it really helped. And I played with even grownups at that age and 
you know, 12, 14 years old. And it, it made you um, grow up a lot faster when you do something very um, serious with other grownups that are not your parents or uh, grandparents, because you have to have a special respect for other people that are not your parents. So I don't think I was ever, I never felt like I was someone's daughter. I was always my own player and person. It's interesting to me that you say that because we've interviewed a number of players who have crossed over from maybe being very good junior players and are now adult champions. And they always impress me at how mature they are and how smart they are and interested in the world. And you're saying that Bridge forced you to grow up faster. Are you able to see that now as an adult? Can you see that in other players? And do you, I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I think when you are at the bridge table, there's a certain type of mannerism you have to have when you're talking to an 80-year-old and you have to learn to be respectful. And, and when you learn that when you're a young player, when you're 12, 14, that, I mean, I wasn't always perfect. I'm not saying that. I would definitely have my moments where I said things that I shouldn't say, but you learn pretty fast that that was not what you're supposed to do. So I think bridge is amazing that way. It just really teaches you how to behave, eye contact, and not talking when people are focusing. And that that's not something that 10-year-olds think about. They think they can say something whenever they want to say something. But in bridge, there are all these rules that are not even, they're not out there. You don't know about the rules, but you learn them by playing and by playing against older people. Speaking of knowing how to behave, what's the biggest muck up or muzzle you've ever had or made at the table? Uh, well, again, I remember a lot of mistakes, not so many good boards, but my biggest one, and I think it's because the amount of crying I did afterwards was when I was 16 years old. I played in the junior pairs for the championship of Sweden with a very good player. And he, it was his last year playing and he played with me. And on the last board, I went down in a 4-3 contract in four spades. Everybody was watching because it was for the, you know, the championships. Everybody had gathered around our table and I went down and it was not even... Um, I really shouldn't have gone down. And I was actually leaving for another tournament that night. So I, I played my championship and then I was on the way to like a local club game afterwards. And I just cried and cried and cried. I even think I cried for, even so I went and played it. I don't understand what I was thinking or what my parents were thinking. You know, I had just lost this championship and I went and played another thing. But there was a lot of crying involved that I remember. So... I'm sure your partner was very nice to you about it. Though. Oh, oh no, he was incredible. I mean, he was really nice to play with me to start with. So he was, you know, he's just one of those great people. So I definitely didn't cry because someone was yelling at me. It was your own, my own, you know, it was all me. <laughs> Have you ever witnessed an expert player just completely screw up? I think it happens every time I play and I can't remember a single incident a board that anyone has messed up but I think every time I play someone makes a huge error even at the nationals at everywhere but you don't think about other people's mistakes that much so you, you know you see oh wow th that was really a bad play and then you move on and I, I really think you need to be that way because if you keep remembering other people's mistakes uh, I don't have that type of memory so 
I know it happens all the time and I can't think of a single board. <laughs> Thinking about one of your regular partners, what would they perhaps say is your greatest strength when it comes to bridge? Well, I would like to say that I am a good partner and that I'm calm and composed, but I don't think that's it. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm pretty, I'm decent at that, but that's not my, I try really hard in everything I do. So if it's not bridge, it's, it's everything. It's cooking dinner. It's mini golf. It's tennis. Everything I put myself into, I, I try really hard. I'm the person that li lies down playing mini golf to line up my shot with my six-year-old son. So I just try really hard. <laughs> I'm a good loser, though. If I miss the shot, it's okay. But I, I just think if I haven't, if I don't try, then what's the point? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What might one of your regular partners say is maybe an area of weakness or maybe not your greatest strength? Oh, they could not come up with a single thing. It's impossible. It's not possible. No, I I think um, I'm probably too hard on myself. So if I make a mistake, it lingers in my mind and in my, even after playing a major tournament, if, when I make mistakes, because we all make mistakes, I will be thinking about that mistake for the next two weeks. Have you found that there's anything that you can do after one of these tournaments where you're just dwelling on the mistake? that you can do to sort of get past it more easily or to unwind perhaps after a tournament? Well, I think it's a process. I think you have to be able to soak up some, if you've had a bad tournament, to to deal with it. But I, I tried to be really busy at home, not to get to, to ha not have so much time to think about it. When you have endless time, that's when you really dig in. And so I try to keep busy with the kids and, and, I play tennis and play more bridge. Um, so that's kind of how I, I process it. But I think a little bit of, of a week and, and some time is, is good for you if, if it's a major tournament. And that's kind of what makes the major. You know, you make mistakes all the time. 
no, every day I play bridge. So it happens every day that you make mistakes, but it's only when you're playing in the world championship where you feel like it really, really, really matters. And that's what makes it extra special too. So things that matters need to matter. Does having children and an active family life help your game then? Because it really allows you to have a certain balance. Yes, I definitely think you appreciate playing bridge and going to a bridge tournament in a different way when you have a family and a busy life at home. I call it my yoga. Some of my friends, they go to yoga. I could never do it because I, I can't unwind that way. But when I play bridge, all their little things, it all goes away. I, I do not think about what they're having for lunch tomorrow when I'm playing. Even when I'm playing online at home, it's all gone. So it is my yoga and I love it. What's the most memorable place or most interesting place that you've played bridge? Just recently, we went to Ecuador on this amazing trip because of my husband's uh, teaching bridge online and they invited us to come and I played at the airport on the floor on the luggage with my kids. And that was a, a very special moment. My husband was taking lots of pictures because my six-year-old has been very, he does not want to learn bridge and he loves cards. But this trip kind of glued us all together and it will always be remembered as the time when he actually accepted it he can play bridge too because the other two played at the nationals and they did great and they had a lovely time but he had no interest in playing and he's been rejecting it and he'll play every other game except for bridge but now he played wow has he played since he has played since yes Uh, he gets a little grumpy when he's a dummy that's the only uh (laughs) he does not like that part i thought he would he's always previously when we've i've tried to play he's been the dummy because i thought that would be fun for him because he didn't know how to play at all but that was clearly wrong so as long as he does not get to be the dummy life is good do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play i used to have a favorite tournament it was the buffet cup And if you don't know what the Buffett Cup is, it was this invitational tournament between the U.S., North America, and Europe. And it was just so much fun, the greatest players in the world. And it was done in such a social and just amazing way. They don't run it anymore. But beyond that, I would like to say all the junior camps that I've ever gone to have all been amazing experiences. Can you describe some of those? Well, my first one, when I was 10 years old, I stayed up a whole night. And I don't think I've done that after. I mean, or, you know, I fall asleep somewhere, but it was just so exciting. And we would play these tournaments where you would play a hand and there were little notes where you had to do the instructions that was, and there was crazy stuff. Stand up on your chair and sing the national anthem. And it was just so much fun. And if you haven't experienced anything like that, it's just, it's just amazing. Was this in Sweden? This was in Sweden. I've, I've actually also gone to a junior camp at, um, around the junior world pairs. And I was older and it, it was a different experience. I think when you're 10, junior camps are the best. 10, 11, 12, 13. It's not about boys. It's about friends and bridge. And it's just amazing. Is there a hot button issue in bridge these days that you're particularly passionate about? 
Well, keeping Bridge alive and introducing it to younger players because just seeing firsthand how amazing it is. And for me, when I was young and also now for my kids, it is the greatest game. You know, then my kids came to the Nationals. They were not in, they weren't thinking they were going to play at the, the Junior Nationals. And my son, who was, he was supposed to be with a babysitter and his sister and his brother, and he didn't want to go to the park. He didn't want to do what they... So eventually he just said, well, you know what? I'm going to go play bridge because there's nothing else I, I want to do. So he went to play bridge the whole day and he loved it. And it just made him so happy. It, it went from the worst tournament to the greatest tournament for him. And I want to have other people experience that. And if you don't have friends or if you don't know what to do, if your kids are spending too much time on screens, bridge is just the greatest thing. And... People don't know it, and it's just sad. But your son went to the tournament because his parents were at the tournament. Right, right. And I, I really get, of course, we want to encourage young people to play, but I wonder about also trying harder to encourage people who have children to play because I think kids are naturally interested and drawn into the world of their parents. What do you feel about that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the easiest way is to teach the parents, you know, when when our kids came home, all they wanted to do was to have their friends learn how to play because they didn't want to play with us. They didn't want to go play at the bridge club. They just want to keep playing with young players and none of their friends know how to play. So it, they were in a spot where, well, this doesn't work. I don't want to play bridge here. There's no kids. And we're like, well, you can play online. And they don't want to do that. They want to play in person. If they want to do something online, they're going to play, you know, video games. So bridge is... For kids, when you're just starting, it's really much an in-person game. I think when he when they're older and they make friends, they can keep in touch online. But right now, they would play every day if it was in person with other kids. And that's why the camps are so important because they're around a group of kids. Oh yes, and it's the one thing that at the nationals it was a little too maybe competitive they didn't have any of the exciting games going on that you sometimes can find at camps it was more of a this is a competition so i think he would do great at a camp the only complaint that he had the entire time was that people were a little too slow which i'm sure he found quite annoying i mean if it kept going he probably wouldn't continue at played but he just played for two days so he was fine but in the end of it he was a little frustrated they just keep thinking and thinking. I don't even know what they're thinking about. Just play a card. So do you have some ideas about how we can encourage young people to be more involved in the game? I really, really would like to start a junior program here in Florida, but I, I don't really know how to go about it, but I know it's needed, it's wanted, and I need to do it. So that's where I'm I am right now. I see the love for bridge. I see it with my kids. I see the need for other children to have this in their life. And I feel like it's on me in my life to do this. You know, I grew up this way, playing bridge as a junior. If no one else can do it, then who can? So I need to get it done. I'm just at the point where, how can I get this? Do I need to do it at school? Do I need to do it after school? Who do I need to talk to? But I, I know that this might be the way to solve um, my problem of the bridge is dying. We need to keep it alive. We all need to do our part in it. And I know I can do something, so I need to do it. 
What's the most annoying thing to you about bridge when you play? I think we probably just mentioned that. Uh, when people are thinking for a really, really long time and, and they have no reason to think, I know people have their own reasons, but when people really don't have anything to think about, that bothers me. Obviously, bad behavior and lots of things, but that's more of a, some people get bothered by slow play, some people don't, but I, I think it kind of kills the game a little bit when people are taking too long. So, because I see with my son who, that was the his big complaint with Bridge, and I know I could take him to a, a real tournament, except for he would get so bored. So he'll get to stay in the juniors for a long time. Have you ever been in a situation at a major tournament where one of your opponents is being incredibly slow and you know that it's just not necessary? It happens all the time. And I think you start getting to know what people it is that have that habit. And I try not to play against them only because I really don't want to be rude. But I do find that if rudeness comes out of me, it's when people are taking a really long time and it's for no particular reason. But what about when you can't help it? I guess I don't mean so much like on, you know, an online game now, but have you ever been playing in a championship and someone's just been incredibly slow? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, what do you do? You start getting a little aggravated. You start calling the director. And unfortunately, there's very few penalties and they're not very enforced. So they get away with a lot of it. And that bothers me, I think, more. Okay, you can be this however slow you want, but if it's your time and I have my time and you get a penalty, if you go way past time, I have no problem. But the problem is it's a communal time. So very rarely do they get a penalty. Well, my normal partner is so fast that the cards come out lightning fast. So we always make it just on time when we play people that are super, super, super slow. And that's not fair to me. So I really think it's important that you have your separate time. You're regular partner plays very quickly. Do you play with anybody who you find unbearably slow, but you love playing with them for some other reason? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. There's uh, <laughs> there, there's a couple of people I've played with. Uh, they're not super, super slow, but they have that those moments where they will go in for five minutes. I cannot play with them. Even if they are the nicest people in the world, I, I cannot do that. Um, life is too short. And yes, if they were the last person on earth, I would play with them. But especially when you're playing and, and you know you're, okay, well, we're going to try to compete in, in the World Championship. It's fine when you're playing for two days here or at the club or even at the Nationals. But when you go in, okay, well, you're going to be my partner for the World Championship. We're going to play together. We're going to play for two weeks. Well, that does not work for two weeks unless you are the type of person that can really handle a super slow person. But if you're going to play together for two weeks, you're going to have to handle whatever they have going on. So if it's them being slow, if it's them being rude, or those things matter as well. Any annoying thing that's going on after two weeks, you if you can't stand what they're doing, it's not going to be a pretty tournament. So, Is there anything in particular that makes you nervous when you're playing bridge? Um, I was going to say I don't get nervous, but I do get nervous every time I play, not so much online, but, you know, major tournaments, you know, you get a little shake, you're a little excited, you have a hard time sleeping before, but I don't get overly nervous when I start playing. No one can make me nervous, not a person, not a situation, 
but I get a little nervous every time. I think a little nervous is good. That means that it's important and it matters to you. It could be talking in front of a hundred people. It could be going on a talk show with a headset on your head in your uh, <laughs> bedroom. Um, those things, you need to be a little nervous. It's good. But when I'm playing major tournaments, that's where I want to be. That's where I feel the most confident. It's a small nervous. It's not a big nervous. The right nervous. It's the perfect amount of nervousness. So it, it wouldn't matter who sat down at the table. It wouldn't no, throw you off your game. No. Again, a little nervous, but that makes you focus uh, more. Not to the point where I'm falling apart in my... I think that, you know, happened when I was 16. And I've had enough of those tough situations that now I just own up to it. I'm like, okay, well, that's a really good player. And I just have to try really hard and... It's a little nervous and it makes you try harder. It's not a bad situation. Was there a time when you did get more nervous than you do now playing at the table? Absolutely. I, I mean, when I was very young, 16, 17, 18, I don't think I got more nervous than most people, though. I think if you were in the spot where you're playing for the championship when you're 16, it doesn't really matter who you are. You would be pretty nervous. I'm not an overly nervous person in those situations. I'm even at that age, I was pretty composed. So yes, I was a little more nervous, but I was still, I think, above average and keeping it together. Well, I also wondered, do you have any superstitions that you like to do specific things or have a particular mantra before you play? I didn't really, and I'm not superstitious at all, but I do get ready when I'm in the event, I get ready for the picture. So I am perfectly happy to play in my sweatpants, no makeup. But if I think I'm going in for a picture, so if I'm in the running, I go and put on a nicer shirt or, you know, so I do get ready for the picture when I'm in an event. And I think that's like the opposite of superstition. I think superstitious would think that that's like the worst idea ever. <laughs> I am not one of those people. So I get ready for the picture and it might be that I'm in 10th. I'm getting ready for my picture. But if I'm somewhat with it, I get ready. The other thing is when I'm playing major events, I try really hard to work on my diet. I love pasta. I love bread. Uh, when I play major tournaments, I try not to eat special food because it slows down your brain. So when I'm in a major tournament, at the World Championship, if I'm in the event, obviously if I'm in a hundredth place in the blue ribbons, I can eat all the pasta I want. But if I'm in the <laughs> event, I'm eating whatever food that does not slow down my brain. So again, I don't think that's a superstition, but it's just, I definitely think about when I'm in event, what I'm doing. How strict are you about your diet when you're in a tournament or a competition? Do you decide beforehand what you're going to eat or is it more casual and you're just, you know, you just don't eat the bread on the table, that kind of thing? I think it's more casual, but I definitely, um, I know from before what works with me and what does not work. I'm, I eat fish very well. So I try to pretty much only eat fish and vegetables. So it looks strict, but it's not super strict. It's on the fly. I'm like, this, this is healthy. This is not healthy not tons of sugar and just trying to give it my 100%. If you could assemble your dream team, anyone, living, dead, fictional character, who would you like to have? I don't know. I feel like I'm so lucky with the people I play with all the time. 
that I don't have a dream team because when I get to play, you know, sometimes I get to play with Steve Weinstein or my husband or... So are you telling us you're living the dream already? Yeah, I'm living my dream. Exactly. <laughs> I've played with amazing players and I've played with not amazing players, but they make you appreciate the amazing players. So yeah, I definitely don't feel like I'm, I'm not living the dream. I also never really had a, a person I thought was, wow, they are so amazing. I'm such a big fan of them. And I've never felt like that. And there's no person on, on the earth that I feel like, wow, I want to meet this actor. I want to meet this person. But the people around me are amazing. And I'm very fulfilled with what I'm doing. Are there any books that have been particularly important to your development as a bridge player? There is one, and I don't know, it's a Swedish author, and it's only done in uh, Swedish. It was, I think the name of it was Rocket Ship in Swedish. His name is Tommy Gulberg, Raketen, so R-A-K-E-T-E-N. So I have this habit of picking up books everywhere, and this is one of the books that I picked up my grandparents and I would carry this book around and when I was going on a trip with my family I was sitting next to my grandpa who is a bridge player he actually he started reading the book and he lost it at the airplane and this author heard about the story because I was then I guess I was a little older I was 14 that I carried this you know I I still do I I I think I'm gonna have a moment so I put a bridge book in my bag wherever I go. So that's what I did. And he lost this book. So he sent me another copy and he signed it. Don't let grandpa take this one away from you. <laughs> uh, so it was very cute. But so that I have a special memory of this, but I, I read a lot. Um, there's no specific books. I don't sit down and read a full book. I'm probably reading 10 books right now. And they're all different subjects. And there's podcast and audible. And um, so yeah, I read a lot of British books, but it might just be one hand from here a note from there, and then I move on to the next thing. So we have a lot of British books going around everywhere. And I was doing the same thing when I was a kid. I would pick up a book. You know, if there's a book on a table, I'm going to check it out. I might not read it all, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it. What's the most important thing, do you think, to learn about defense? Uh, I think it's really important to really think when you're defending a hand, what the declarer is doing. So you want to be thinking, what are they doing? I want to do the opposite of what they're doing. If they're doing this, I should be doing that. And why are they doing this? So if you, as a defender, start really putting yourself in the declarer's head, I think that's a really important skill. And it's not a convention. It's not anything. It's just try to think what they're thinking about. Do you think that you can use psychology in a way, I'm just wondering if, if you can pretend to be falling into the declarer's trap, but really you're burying your singleton king and they have no idea. I, I'm, I'm just wondering how much psychology can help figure out what declarer may be looking for or what you can do to foil declarer. Yeah, I definitely seen really good declares where normally when I play against someone, I really know what's going on. But then there's some amazing declares in the world, like Mech Strahd is one of them, that 
you don't really know what's going on when he's playing the hand and he's tricky to play again. So he's, I would think he's a tricky person to defend against. I've not really seen anyone that's so defensively tricky because it's, it's trickier. Um, <laughs> so I, I've seen some declare play trick me as, you know, as a defender where I don't really know what's going on. I mean, obviously you could do it the other way around too, but you're also going to trick your partner when you're declaring you don't have a partner, so you don't have to worry about tricking someone else. Obviously, when you're playing a hand and you have all the points, you know your partner's never going to get in, it's really important to not give too many signals. I had a similar situation where I had no points and I had long led my long suit and I was never getting in again, but you can't make that clear to the to the declarer because then they know where all the points are. So I was trying to keep something to get to my entry for my suit to try to trick the declarer into thinking I actually have something, but I had nothing. I was never getting in. And yeah. Well, I, th- I find that very interesting. The whole, you want to give information to your partner. You do not want to give information to the declarer. So you sort of make a choice at a certain point. Yeah, you got to pick your spots. Exactly. It's not worth it telling my partner the accurate description of my hand because there's nothing they can do with it. But what I can do is lie to the declarer. Right. So it's one of those spots where who do you think needs it more? Does my partner need a signal? Then you need to give it to them. If you think my partner does not need any of my signals, now you can't be sitting around giving signals or not trying to give signals because you have to make life hard for the declarer. So you definitely have to pick your spots. Do you have a favorite bridge convention or gadget that you love to play? I am very flexible with my conventions. I don't like to play too many conventions. I always love playing jury. And it's a very American convention that I didn't have growing up in Sweden. But I think it's because I love staying low and giving the same amount of information. So if you can make a support and show something a little extra and still stay low, I used to think it's the greatest thing. And it's such a basic, small tool, but it's so nice to be not be able to jump at the, to the three level when you open a little lighter. And I don't know, I love it. Are there any conventions that you really don't care for that you might tell a partner, I'd rather not? Yeah, I would say Gerber. There's a lot of Gerber questions when I play with uh, students and they're like, oh, I thought this was Gerber. And I do. I'm like, you know, don't worry about Gerber. <laughs> let's let's not worry <laughs> about Gerber. Um, but I don't have a particular problem with Gerber. It's just when people get confused with things, I rather let's skip that and move on to something different. And I've seen that one a lot. That's not the first vote for Gerber. Yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? To listen to other people instead of um, anybody has good information. It could be someone from the bridge club who you don't have the most amount of respect for. Everybody has something interesting. Everybody has a story. Just to listen to everybody without being uh, judgmental. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. I think it's it's really important not to, when you're listening, not to put your emotions too much into the game too. So when you make a mistake, to really listen to what your partner has to say, the moment you become too emotionally involved, you're no longer listening. You're just feeling the situation. So when you're listening, you actually have to listen, not hearing someone talk. That's great. Thank you. It really is. 
Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks, Jenny. It's been terrific. Thank you. Goodbye. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Jenny Wolpert. Thank you also to our sorry partner, Posse, of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso and Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. You'll get a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter benefits. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Jenny says, listen. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 